Good morning. It is a privilege to open and preach God's word this morning. What a blessing we have in our lives to have the very word of God in our hands, to hear him speak to us as we read his word and to know Jesus more as we read through it. If this is your first time here, we want to welcome you to this gathering. We are glad that you have joined us as we worship God together here in this city. My name is Joe Matthew, and it is an absolute joy for me to serve God here in this city with the Redeemer Church of Dubai. Before we look at God's word, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And as we listen to it, open our hearts and our minds to hear you. Keep us away from all distractions. May the words I speak be those you want to be spoken. Speak through me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As a church, we are going through the Gospel of John. If you have been with us from the start of this series, you will know by now why John writes this gospel. He writes it so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in him. But here in this passage that angel read to us, we see Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. Jesus is answering a question that Judas, not Iscariot, asks him about how he plans to manifest himself to the disciples. He talks to the disciples about the helper, who is the Holy Spirit, who will convict the world, who would teach the disciples all things. He does not stop there but he instructs the disciples to continue to abide in Jesus because Jesus is the true wine. Jesus wants his disciples to know that they will be persecuted. They will go through various trials. They might even be killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. But he wants to assure, he wants to encourage them that a helper is coming soon a paraclete to help them in their faith journey. The Greek word used here about the Holy Spirit is parakletos, which means one who is called to one side, especially it to help. It also means an intercessor, an assistant, or one who pleads the cause of another before a judge. Therefore, the role of a Holy Spirit is comprehensive. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. He's our helper. He is our advocate. He is the one who intercedes for us. So the main point of the sermon this morning is the Holy Spirit is our helper in our faith journey. We must rely on him. 
The Holy Spirit is our helper in our faith journey, so we must rely on him. Much of this passage deals with the ministry and the message of the Holy Spirit. Our passage opens with a new paragraph beginning in the middle of verse 4 of chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 4, the second part of it. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. All these years, the disciples were living with Jesus. They talked with him, they walked with him, ate with him, saw miracles that he did. He was there with most of them, most of the time, instructing them, teaching them, guiding them. And now he says that he's going away. Jesus wanted the disciples to know that after he's gone, they need to walk in him. Which is a powerful statement reminding of, of the whole teaching what Jesus mentions in chapters 14, 15, and 16. But sadly, the disciples are occupied not with what he has told them, but with themselves. How do we know that? Jesus says, I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? Our Lord expects these men to question him. He is attempting to arouse their curiosity. He is saying to them, why don't you ask me some questions? Aren't you interested in what is going on? Instead, they are busy thinking of what would happen to them. They are so concerned about themselves that they can see only their little world. And so Jesus says, sorrow has filled your heart. Instead of curiosity about the consequent knowledge they could have, and even the excitement about what is going to happen, sorrow filled their heart because their focus was on, on themselves. They needed someone to keep, and that someone is the Holy Spirit as our Lord goes on to indicate in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I know that you have often felt, as I have, that these disciples had a great advantage over us. They could sit and listen to Jesus. They could hear his words. They could see him face to face. They could experience the many miracles that he did. What advantage and a privilege they had. 
How many of us have felt, oh, if only we could have been there. If only we could have seen what these disciples saw. But yet Jesus is telling them very frankly and very plainly, it will be better for you when I go away. For when I go away, the helper will come. Notice carefully when Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The words that come next are very important. Jesus says, it is for your good that I am going away. Jesus was going back to the Father who sent him. But the road back included his death, resurrection, and finally his ascension back into heaven. Jesus was working for their good so that they may have power and eternal life. The condition for the Holy Spirit to come was that Jesus had to go back to the Father. And to go back to the Father, what did he have to do? He had to finish the work that he had come to the earth for. He had to suffer and die and then be raised again from the dead and finally ascend into heaven. If he had missed any of these steps or taken any shortcuts, the Holy Spirit would have no effect in our lives. Think for a moment. If Jesus did not die, then our sins would not have been paid for. If Jesus did not rise again, then sin and death would not have been defeated. The Holy Spirit would have nothing to work with because there would be no gospel. But thanks be to Jesus, because he did not just go to the cross and die for us, he rose again on the third day and then he ascended into heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding. For us. The disciples needed to know this. Jesus was going to leave them soon, but then he was not going to leave them as orphans. He was going to send them the helper. The presence of God would not just be with them, but it would be within them. We need to take hold of the significance of the Holy Spirit in our lives because Jesus said that he is sent for our advantage. Look at the disciples themselves. Before Jesus left, they were confused. They were thick-headed, lacking in faith, afraid, selfish, and self-centered. After Jesus left and after the helper had come, they were men of faith, surrendered, bold and bearing the fruit of their spirit in their lives. Do we rely on the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us? Are we bearing abundant fruit as the disciples of Jesus? We must be thankful for the Holy Spirit. Someone has said, of all the gifts given to mankind by God, there is none greater than the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. The most important work of the Holy Spirit is what he does in the hearts and minds of sinners to bring them 
to faith in Christ and then provide guidance for us as believers to promote the glory of Christ. Who is this Holy Spirit? He is God. He is a person. Note the many times Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he in this passage. The Holy Spirit is distinguished from, yet very closely related to the Father and the Son, and has the same essence. He receives the worship due to the Father and the Son, and does divine work, including inspiring scriptures, regenerating hearts, creating, sustaining lives. He is omniscient, he is omnipotent, and he is omnipresent. Remember, there is just one God, but three persons in the Godhead. If Jesus is telling us that the Holy Spirit is going to come after his death, what was his role in the Old Testament? We see the first appearance of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was in a creating role. It also, cre it also included the creation of humans. The Holy Spirit spoke God's word. He is the one who taught and led the people of Israel. The Holy Spirit granted special skills and abilities to God's people to carry out his work. But most importantly, the Holy Spirit pointed to the coming Messiah. What is he doing right now? In this text from verses 8 to 15, we see two things that the paraclete does. He convicts the world and he guides the believers. It is important to note that the Spirit comes to the church and not to the world. This means that he works in and through the church. He works through people in whom he lives for the glory of his name. Let us look at the work of the Holy Spirit mentioned in this passage in detail. Firstly, he convicts the world concerning sin. The Holy Spirit exposes and reveals that the world is guilty against God. But this is so that the people in this world would turn away from their sinful ways and they would seek God. We are all guilty against God because we are born as sinners. But we need the Holy Spirit to help us see that. Verse 9 says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. This is the basis of sin, unbelief in God which leads to unfaithfulness to God. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Many people who know God do not give glory to him or give thanks to him. This is the foundation of sin. Because when we do not believe in God, our thinking becomes useless, our hearts become dark, 
the spirit of god convicts us of sin to make the people of the world feel that they're guilty so guilty that they are lost ruined and undone the holy spirit does not come to make sinners feel comfortable in their sins but to cause them to grieve over their sins he does not help people to forget their sin or think little of it but he comes to convict them of the horrible wickedness of their iniquity note here that the spirit of god comes to convict men of sin because they never will be convicted of sin apart from his advocacy the extent of sin is never known till the spirit of god reveals the secret chambers of the heart's abomination we do a thousand things that we don't know to be sin till the spirit of god enlightens and pleads the cause of holiness in us the fact that we not only sin but are by nature sinful is one that hurts our pride we will not learn this fact until the spirit of god teaches it to us his convicting work is to share is to bring sinners to a realization that sin separates from god and that only through christ can they receive forgiveness of sins and everlasting life only by faith in christ can an unrighteous sinner be declared righteous in the eyes of god the spirit does not merely accuse men of sin but he brings to them an inescapable sense of guilt so that they realize their shame and helplessness before god not only does the spirit convict the world concerning sin but it convicts he convicts the world concerning righteousness that is to say to show them that they have no righteousness of their own no means of working righteousness and that apart from grace they are condemned just as the paraclete will convict the world in regard to sin so also will it convict the world in regard to its righteousness jesus rejects the implied righteousness of the jews declaring throughout that their temple we see that in chapter 2 their teaching in chapter 3 their worship in chapter 4 and their religious regulations chapter 5 are in need of cleansing they had to be surpassed and replaced by jesus and by implication his righteousness thus the use of righteousness by jesus here serves as a summary of the rejection of jesus displayed by all the opponents of jesus during his ministry both jew and gentiles the disciples are invited to participate in the spirit's ministry in the world by displaying in their personal and corporate lives the positive righteousness that only god can provide 
No man comes to Christ who is not drawn by the Father and enlightened by the Spirit. Friends, pray hard that the Spirit of God may even now convict unbelievers that the only true righteousness for men is that which comes not by works of the law, but by hearing of faith. All this is to say that there is no one righteous. There is nothing that we can do by our abilities to be righteous. The Holy Spirit reveals our inability and weakness to be righteous. So what other choice do we have? Look at verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Where can we get righteousness? We can get righteousness in Jesus. We know he is righteous because he went to the Father. The Father is righteous. The Father is holy. The Father is perfect. And the fact that Jesus went to him shows that he is also righteous. The righteousness of Christ is imputed on us the moment we trust in him for our salvation. The divine message of scripture is this. The sin that condemns you is rejecting Jesus Christ and his work. The righteousness that saves you is the righteousness that belongs only to Christ. There is absolutely no righteousness in any human being that can ever bring that human being into the presence of God. If you are ever going into the presence of God, you have to possess the righteousness that Jesus possessed. That, by the way, is the gospel. When you believe in Christ, he gives you his righteousness. You become the righteousness of God in him. Our righteousness are like filthy rags. The only way we can ever be right with God is to be granted the righteousness of Christ. I was born and raised by Christian parents. And from a very young age, I regularly attended church. As a teenager, I became increasingly active in various spiritual activities in the church. I was living in the deception that because I was doing all the right spiritual things and looked like a Christian, God is pleased with me. Sadly, my heart was far away from God. I lived like the Pharisees, very religious in my words and deeds, but denying God in my heart. After many years of living such a hypocritical life, God in his mercy and grace opened my eyes to see the deception I was living in. The deception of adding my good, wo good works to the gospel of Christ with a desire to be accepted by God. He made me understand that Christ has completed the work of salvation for me and now I am accepted because of Jesus Christ. We do not need to strive hard to earn acceptance by God anymore. Isn't that so liberating? 
Dear friends, that is the amazing doctrine of imputed righteousness, the heart of the gospel. When we believe in Christ, he gives us his righteousness because on the cross he took our sins. We can't be on our own, and so it has to be something granted to us, a righteousness that is alien to us. The Spirit of God comes to convict men of judgment. It's not the judgment that is to come. This world has already been judged, and it's guilty of sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are guilty, but because of Jesus, we are accepted and forgiven by his grace and by his mercy. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And on the cross, our Redeemer judged him, overcame him, and cast him down. He is now a condemned criminal, a vanquished rebel. His reigning power over all believers is broken. He knows that his time is short. His wrath is held in check by his conqueror. In his passion, our Lord fought Satan and overcame him, completely spoiling principalities and powers, making a show of them openly, triumphing over it. Christ saves his people from their sins. He makes them holy. He not only justifies us, but is also sanctifying us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus declares with a perfect tense verb that the ruler of this world has been judged. That is, although in one sense this is a future event, in another sense the ruler of this world has already been defeated and judged by God. In verses 12 through 15, our Lord moves on to talk about the second work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Jesus had just spoken of the work of the paraclete in the world. Here he is going to address the work of the paraclete in and for the church. Look, look with me to verse 12 to through 15. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. Now, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The second major work of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth. The verb guide or lead refers here to instructional assistance. Jesus now addresses how the paraclete will affect the disciples when he comes, referring to him for the third time in these chapters as the spirit of truth. He will not lead us astray, 
but we can be assured because he will guide us in all truth. What is the truth? The truth provided by the Spirit must be connected to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But also to the emphasis on truth expressed throughout the Gospels. This ministry of the Spirit is not guidance into further new truth, but into truth concerning that which was con concretely and concisely set forth by the Son of God. This was fulfilled in these apostles' life. They were led by the Spirit to speak the truth which is recorded here in the pages of the New Testament, the Gospels, the Epistles, and the book of Revelation. Our best source of truth and wisdom is our Bibles, the Word of God. Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He guides us into the truth with his word. The Bible teaches us about the history of the universe, the history of the world. It teaches us about life. It provides us with wisdom. It teaches us about things that are yet to come, a new heaven, a new earth, eternal life, and even eternal judgment. But most importantly, the Bible teaches us about God about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and His work for our salvation. But we don't just gain intellectual knowledge by reading the Bible. The Holy Spirit makes the words of God come alive. Ultimately, all truth leads to increasing knowledge about God. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul was the author of almost half of the New Testament, yet he still considered that to know Christ was surpassing greatness. It was better than anything ever. There is no limit to what we can learn about God through his word. When we study the word of God diligently, we not only see who he is, we not only see his attributes, his great authority, his power, but also his great love, patience, and mercy toward his people. Jesus says in the next chapter, John chapter 17, verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing and believing in God leads us to eternal life. When we rely on the Holy Spirit, he will guide us into all truth. Finally, we see the Holy Spirit's purpose behind all his work. Look at verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
The Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus Christ. He does not speak on his own. He only speaks what he hears. The Holy Spirit works in accordance with Jesus and with God the Father. The Spirit also searches all things, even the deep things of God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit's role in revealing the truth about Jesus is like the lights on billboards along our highways. The function of the lights is to make the message on the billboards clear to those who pass without obscuring the message. The Holy Spirit's ministry is humble and meant to bring glory to Jesus. The Spirit testifies about Jesus. He will always point us to Jesus. As a result of his work in us, we are convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. When we have the Spirit of God, we can boldly confess with saving faith that Jesus is Lord and praise God for all that he has done and is still doing in and amongst us. To be filled with the Spirit is the same as to be controlled by the Word. The Spirit of truth uses the Word of God to guide us into the will and purposes of God. Dear friends, those of us who are saved, we still need the Holy Spirit working in us every day to convict us of our sins. We who believe are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Are we assured of this? Romans chapter 5, 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we are united with Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit in us. If the Father has accepted us in Christ, we are one with him. Let us remember that through Christ's work, our sins have been judged. Our enemy also has been judged and condemned. Our representative, Christ Jesus, bore the penalty of our sins. Our chastisement is past, for Jesus has borne it. He was numbered with the transgressors. There is now no curse for us. There can be none. May the Spirit of God make us confident and joyful in Christ, who is our Lord, our righteousness, and by whom all evil has been judged once and for all. Friends, read the word of God with your heart open, allowing the spirit of truth to convict you. The spirit would reveal all truth. When we read the scriptures, we are reading the final revelation of God. The scripture reveals all the truth and the answers that we need for salvation and life are found in it. Once a little boy was flying a kite. It was a windy day and the kite kept going higher and higher. Finally, it got to a point that it was out of sight. A man passed by 
and saw the little boy holding on to the string. The man could not see the kite and he asked the boy, how do you even know that the kite is up there? The boy replied, because I can feel it. Although we cannot see the Holy Spirit, we should be able to sense his work in our lives, changing us into the image of Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we begin to grow spiritually, increasingly bearing fruits of righteousness, as we see in Galatians chapter 5, and doing the work of God's kingdom. Lastly, the Spirit glorifies Jesus. When we read the Word of God, we must see the glory of Jesus in what we are reading. Everything in the scripture is pointing to the love of God in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So we read the scripture looking for the glory of God so that we would praise and honor him as glorious. Notice that it is not the Spirit's function to attract himself, attention to himself or to promote himself. As with John the Baptist, his purpose was to make Jesus increase in prominence. When in a meeting or a Bible study, you suddenly get a glimpse of the Lord Jesus and he becomes wonderful, very real and meaningful to you, that is the working of the Holy Spirit in us. Remember, the Holy Spirit is our helper in our faith journey. We must rely on him. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the truth of these words. We thank you for the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit who teaches us and reminds us of all that Christ Jesus has said. We ask God, the Holy Spirit, to help us to understand what you reveal to us and that as we understand, we would all the more glorify Jesus. How much evidence we have right here in this room that these words are true, that this is what you are doing today to the end that the world in its blindness and darkness may see you, Lord of life, Lord of glory, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank you for that life and the power given to us by the Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in your ways, O Lord. Help us to rely on the Holy Spirit as he is our helper in our faith journey. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.